Denver, Denver, I'm from Denver, 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 Hello and welcome to the Denver Diatribe, a weekly podcast of news, culture, and stuff as it pertains to Denver, Colorado, the most burrito-loving city west of that stupid city in California that claims they invented the big burrito. I'm Ron Doyle. Joining me today at the Daniels and Fisher Clock Tower are co-hosts Vanessa Martinez and Joel Warner. Good morning, Vanessa. Morning, Ron. Good morning, Joel. What up? <laughs> and our sound engineer slash producer du jour is Jared Jacang Mayer. Good morning, Jared. Oh, you can't talk because you don't have a microphone. Hello, I'm Jared. <laughs> uh, this week, we find ourselves wrapped in a warm tortilla of love with Pete Turner, owner of Illegal Pete's. Good morning, Pete. Good morning. Uh, but first, uh, the newsy bits. Denver television icon Blinky the Clown has passed away at 91 years old. I know. Crickets. Can we insert sound effect of crickets? I, I feel bad because I didn't grow up in Denver, so I don't really know Blinky the Clown. And we're all... You, Vanessa, you're a, you're a local from Pueblo, but did you know Blinky the Clown? I did not. I'm sad to say. I, I read about him. I Jared knew Blinky the Clown. He's, he's given us a nod. Pete, did you know Blinky I the did. Clown? I did know Blinky so the tell, Clown. So tell me a little bit. I just I feel like because we're a Denver podcast, I had to mention it because it's a big deal to folks that care, but I, I honestly don't know what to say about it. I mean, what was Blinky's deal? You know, that's a really good question, and it's sort of a bitter spot for me because my parents never, like, entered me into Blinky. Like, I was never part of the fun club, so it was sort oh, wait, of, point is of, Blinky point the of a point of contention. It was a TV show, and yeah. you'd go, like, kids could go and sit and on the, you know, bleachers and watch, be part of the And you weren't allowed to? They just never did it, you know? Like, I was the youngest of four, and I think by the time I came around, they are like, nah, it's too much work, you know? We got these other things to do. So, like, I would kind of lobby to try to get on the Blinky show. And so it's a little – I mean, I'm really sad to see Blinky go because he was – it was really neat. And yeah. it was this sort of Channel 2 morning show. Um, yeah, you know, cities used to have that because yeah. my wife talks about uh, growing up in near Wichita, and they had a similar – children's television show where if you sent in your name you'd get your birthday your name yeah. mentioned as it was your birthday and it sounds like blinky the clown did the same thing yeah and there's some again there was some way to get on the show again my parents never really looked into it like i hope they would and now and now it's all like it's national i lost my chance now it's all held out hope until like a few weeks ago you thought someday my folks are gonna still, be on the still, show. still i was <laughs> waiting for that call oh <laughs> The, the top steer at the Colorado State Fair is auctioned off for a record-breaking $55,000. I'm sorry, why would you pay $55,000 for a sterile uh, steer? Why You can't reproduce it. I mean, it's not like... It's the for steer the kids, can... Ron. Come on. Yeah, Did you not do kids. 4-H? No. Well, I raised rabbits. I did yeah. rabbits at like... So... County Fair. Just to recap, Ron hates clowns <laughs> and doesn't like kids. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> no, I love I love both. I love clowns and kids. I and and cows for that matter. I just 
I, just I'm just very cows. confused about why would you pay $55,000 for a cow? So explain to me, Vanessa, what you're saying is this because it's for the children? Yeah, I mean, this the, is... The kid that raised the, cow, the steer. Sure, and, and 4-H is a really big deal, and it's a really... It's, it's an awesome program. I mean, if you've... You went through it. I mean, it teaches you business skills. It teaches you a lot of responsibility about how to raise an animal, especially a large animal. But I think right now it reflects also what's happening in the country with the price of meat, really. I mean, it should go up. If not, then it's kind of devaluing. I mean, these things kind of set a precedent, right? Like it's so not really a precedent. But, Who gets uh, to eat it? Do the Sa- kids get Sam to eat? Brown bought it. This guy, he, he lives in Pueblo. He usually buys the champion. And so... Uh, uh, He's just like rich cattle baron, should, right? Right, but, but if this is an off, this is also a really big so option. They can eat their own steer. I don't know if he does take the cow <laughs> okay. from them. To be right? honest with you, I'm not sure what he does, but I'm I I don't know. I don't know. But the kid, the kid, I don't think the fishy. kid's not going to want to eat does. his own his own cow. He should. It's about circle of life, and he should, if you're going to raise the steer, you should eat it. <laughs> Kuma matata. Yeah, matata. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't really think. See, I'm just having a hard time with it because you think about. Okay, they did put a lot of money into that weird fake hairspray. The hairspray that they put into the cow. Have you seen these what? auctions? They like style the Whoa. tail hair of the cow, and they get them all pruned and sheared, and they make them all pretty. And they look beautiful. Like cow they, hairspray? Is it like normal hairspray? I don't know if it's normal hairspray or not. But but you know, you've seen the TV shows <laughs> with the like crazy the beauty pageant I can moms. See you need some new product. You know the beauty pageant moms? Well, this is the same sort of thing, but it's for cows. And and people get obsessed with their with their steer. But fifty five thousand dollars if it was a bull that could then or 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 a, a female cow that you could then go reproduce and carry on its great genes, I would understand. But really it's all like fake makeup for cows. It's it's smoking I'm mirrors. This is not really show. that great of a cow. Is this gonna be a new reality show? <laughs> <laughs> What's that show? Princess in Tierra's, whatever that horrible. Oh, I, I don't know. The cow tears, version. Yes. I don't think it, and oh. I don't think it's meant to really make a statement about how great the cow is at all. Okay, <laughs> all right. So, but basically, what you're saying is this kid put in this amazing amount of time and effort into raising this animal and presenting it in a great way, and therefore they they basically get college well, money. This sure, is, this yeah. Is I mean, money. whatever way you know they, but I'm I'm sure they'll use it wisely. I mean, ranchers are are in a really tough spot right now. So. They are. They are. Okay. All right. Snea grab, uh, which we talked about this whenever the camping, the illegal uh, urban camping, uh, when the camping ban came into effect, we talked about what is going to happen to Snea grab. Well, magically, Snea grab, uh, our, our, uh, the good people at Sports Authority managed to find themselves a special permit that doesn't exist for anybody else so people can camp outside of the uh, Sports Authority castle. Well, they need to. Think of the outdoor aficionados. Think of Ron. the savings. Ron. Think of Those the savings. Those poor people you? need their new tents. <laughs> yeah. Their skis. Otherwise, how will the homeless people get theirs? Yes, that's true. No, yeah, right. True. Exactly. If it is, yeah. you, it's a trickle down economics. Circle right of life there. again. Circle of Hakuna Matata. There it is. So what you're saying is we need to allow the wealthy twenty-somethings or trustafarians to camp out. That way, when they get inside, they can buy a new tent. And then give their older tent away to That's a homeless That's a good plan. Person. If they actually bring their old tent and snowshoes and propane stoves. That's the garage they sale. That's in, the, that's the, they, they hand it to the homeless guy waiting at the door. Be like, I could use that camelback, please, sir. And hand it off. And then they get to go into Snea Grab and get their new camelback. I love this. I love there this. Go. It's good. You know, I'm really wondering. I was just sort of – I wanted to get sort of a check-in from folks because, you know – 
you're you're in a different neighborhood than me. Uh, Pete, you've you you've just recently moved, but you were in a different neighborhood as well. Has have you guys seen folks camping anyway, sleeping out? I have. I've I've seen plenty of people. It doesn't seem to have changed things a whole lot. The camping ban. Um, sort of pulling away from the snea grab thing for a second. I was just curious if you've noticed any sort of major social change because of the law. Have you noticed anything, uh, Vanessa? No, but I'm not around. I mean, yeah, I, I live in Boulder. Boulder right now. So. Have there been reports? I mean, I think the bigger question is have there been news reports of folks getting No, nobody's reporting there. on it because they've got other stuff to talk about. Are right you now. seeing like them camping grab. like. Snea like snea grab is a bigger deal. Those, yeah. those tents are worth reporting. Uh, but when you say camping, do you mean like actually like in a tent or just no, sleeping I mean, outside? No, I mean people in sleeping bags yeah. under underneath a bridge uh, on the Cherry Creek bike path. And I've seen plenty of it. It doesn't seem like it's changed a lot. Pete, have you noticed uh, a big difference uh, since they passed the camping ban? Well, you know, so our office is downtown, and I was living in Wash Park, so I'd see sort of the capital in yeah. downtown a little bit and drive up Spear. So I'd see a lot of that. And I have not seen much change along Spear, but I thought the – sort of what they were going for with that law was to to get rid of all the protest at Capitol Hill. And I have seen that change. I mean, that's just not there anymore. Yeah, Occupy so uh, that is gone. The, so I now mean, it's, the, the question is, how much is that is the law and how much is that the fact that the Occupy movement kind of fizzled out? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. There was mainly. a big... There's a big question about whether or not it was going to pick back up whenever the weather got warmer, and it certainly doesn't seem like it has. I saw I saw a protest uh, during a first Friday uh, on Santa Fe, and that's about all I've seen of it. I I've heard some folks on Twitter whenever I mentioned that uh, they said uh, they do that every first Friday that they're doing protests like that, but they're not yeah. occupying anything. Per My se. guess is that. The Denver police just know they have much bigger fish to fry than going around looking for homeless people camping. I think they're like, okay, like if we kick these folks out of the underpasses below Spear, it's just going to cause us more problems. So we're just going to kind of do what we have to do and not take this new stupid law too seriously. Okay. All right. Well, speaking of uh, things that the Denver police might have to worry about, have you guys ever had a situation where you got in a cab and somebody else jumped into the cab with you at the same time? No. You ever had that happen? Not in Denver. Not in Denver? No. Okay. Well... Uh, there's there's someone who's doing this notoriously now, and it's our mayor. Mayor Hancock is now – he wants to share <laughs> wow. a cab ride with you. <laughs> mayor Hancock is in 550 yellow cabs simultaneously right now. Yellow cab in Denver has added video screens to the back seats of all their uh, cabs uh, that have little intro videos with Mayor Hancock saying hello and welcome it's to Denver. Ju- it's just Who yellow paid cab? for this? The city. We did. It's Who do you think paid for it? Wow. It's just yellow cab. <laughs> it's it's just yellow cab. Five hundred. That's interesting. I uh, my my first real interaction with uh, then Councilman Hancock was my big investigation into how how corrupt uh, the Denver uh, cab system is. How it's this forced monopoly, oh, and they won't let anyone else new kind of come in with any new companies. It's actually one of the most pro-monopoly taxi uh, regulations in the country, and it applies to hmm. the entire state. And Hancock has definitely not been one to push for changes. Yeah, well, and it certainly seems like they're promoting a little further. What they've done, they've added uh, little little holders in the back seats for the, the Visit Denver guide, that big, glossy magazine that, the, that Visit Denver puts out. And then they also have these video screens where he does intro videos. And if you're going, apparently, if you're going through a particular neighborhood... It'll give you a little 30-second historical tour of that neighborhood. So I'm mm. sort of curious about what 
some of those neighborhood videos look like. <laughs> <laughs> well, like South Federal? <laughs> Welcome to South Federal. Please duck below the line of the window. If you... <laughs> right. No, why are we stereotyping South Federal? South Federal is amazing. Okay. Please roll your window down and enjoy the smells of all the good foods and wave to your local uh, lowriders. Right. Uh, now, is it in Spanish? I mean, I, w- I would imagine this, this uh, commercial yes, should is, be in Spanish. Yes, is Mayor Hancock speaking in Spanish whenever he's in those particular neighborhoods? Does he put on a big sombrero? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we just went there. All right. Okay. All right. Well, that's about it for the newsy bits. Uh, listeners, if you ever want to share a news story with us, rant about something we said, or shower us with gifts of craft beer growlers and Grolix tickets, please leave a comment on DenverDiatribe.com, like us on Facebook, or drop a line at 720 282 Yell! Um, we have something new. We have a. I'm going to introduce something that we haven't done, uh, at least not in a long time. I'm going to do a comment of the week. Uh, someone uh, listened to last week's podcast when we talked about the large, the 22-acre uh, pot field, marijuana field that was found in the middle of the Waldo Canyon fire uh, area. And uh, this person, Robin, uh, wrote in to us on our website and said. As a former forestry technician for the federal government, I can assure you that it is extremely unlikely that park rangers or foresters are moonlighting as pot growers. You are right about them not getting paid very much, but the people that work for the National Forest Service and other federal land management agencies are very devoted to protecting forests. They are so dedicated to their jobs that they take the low pay and most work seasonally, which means they don't get any benefits. They do it out of the love of their profession, I don't know a single Forest Service employee that would risk their job to do something illegal, and especially that would have an impact on the forests they protect. I'm not making a moral statement about growing pot. I just want you to know how seriously park rangers and forestry forestry professionals take their careers, and the jobs they do should be better respected, even though they are not prestigious or well-paid. So... What a great comment, right? Uh, Thank you, Robin. That was was cool. Okay, go ahead, Pete. know that we were joking? Well, of course she knows we're joking, but whatever. It's fine. It's still, you know, I'm glad she came out. She made a comment. And uh, I wasn't entirely joking. Oh. <laughs> so I really wasn't. So I could, next week we're going to get some angry comments about clowns. Cause maybe. Clowns. Yes, I'm going to get slammed for Blinky the Clown. But anyway, uh, since we have Pete here with us, uh, we, we sort of uh, asked him, uh, Robin, uh, if you're listening, uh, asked him to uh, hook you up with a an entree card. So, um we're going to email you, and we're going to get you a free Illegal Pete's Entree card, uh, if that's okay. Is that cool, Pete? Oh, it's great. Okay, good. Sure. So, so thank you. Uh, comment of the week from Robin. And let's, uh, let's get on to our first uh, topic. All right, let's get a little deeper here. We're going we're gonna to chat with you, Pete. Hi. Hi. You, you <laughs> that's it. That was it. Yeah. Welcome. And, and that was it, good ladies talk, and gentlemen. Have talk. a nice day. Goodbye. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. Uh, yeah, so... Holy crap, Illegal Pete's is 17 years old? Yeah, uh, August 15th, 17 years. Yes. That's so wild. That's that's making me feel pretty ancient because... Thank you. You know, when we... When we <laughs> you know what that makes me feel then. Appreciate that. Okay, I didn't mean it like that. No, I mean... We already we, had, there. No, we had a conversation earlier, so... Yeah, no, what I was saying before is uh, when we first met, I explained that, you know, my very first experience with the big burrito, the mission-style burrito, was at Illegal Pete's, and I... And I recall it being right at your one-year anniversary when I first moved to Boulder. Uh, wow. So, so I feel I feel special. That means I've I've had 16 years of of putting your burritos in my in my gullet, uh, which makes me happy. But uh, I mean, 
your business is really, it's done some pretty interesting things in the last 17 years. It, it started out in Boulder, right? Yes. And then when did you first start opening up shops uh, elsewhere? So we started on the hill in Boulder, August 1995, and opened our second shop on the east end of Pearl Street in 1998. And then made our move to downtown Denver, our Lodo spot at 16th and Wazi in 2001, which was kind of a big move for me. And I was born and raised in Denver or Littleton, Colorado, the mean, oh, okay. mean streets of Littleton. And uh, <laughs> a little, yeah, a little, which has actually unfortunately come true. But, uh, and went to CU Boulder and yeah. have, you know, so coming back to Denver was really nice for me and it was kind of part of the plan. But there was a big move for my company. Um, you know, we had Chipotle and Qdoba, two two of the big guys that started in Denver and right, right in the lion's den down here. So that was a big, big move for me and, and a big learning experience, probably the hardest year of my life. But since then, we've opened uh, a store in Denver Tech Center, which is kind of where I grew up. Yeah. Um, and that was, that's been interesting as well. And a store at the University of Denver in 2009. And we are working on a brand new location on uh at 270 south broadway just north of alameda on broadway so kind of south boundary of the baker district yeah okay right on so yeah that's kind of the history and yeah it's been definitely had it's had its ups and downs the last four to five years has been really really good uh i we've done a lot of work on the business and um you know kind of with the economy going south you know we've tied tightened up our belts so to speak as everybody says but i uh, really gotten a lot smarter about how we do business and and it's allowed us to to grow and to continue to nurture our people and provide a better product and actually have a lot more fun it's been a great ride do do you remember Babalus? of course yeah uh, so when i was so I, that that yeah. was that was like the major competition for you when you first got started, started well yeah out. so i signed a lease in february of 1995 Babalus opened like maybe I mean, right around there. It, almost was, the exact same time. The, but So I, for those who don't know, Babalu's was in a little window. The Fox uh, Theater. At the Fox Theater. They were serving burritos. And uh, their, their, kind of, their, their catch was they had the Baby Lou, which was like the $2 mini version of the big burrito that you could also get. And, and it was, for a long time, it was just you guys on the hill. That was, that was it. So. Yeah. And then you just squashed them like a bug. Yeah, I think they... <laughs> no, I think they squashed themselves. Yeah, I think, you know, just being part of the Fox. Um, yeah. I think, you know, you had your focus on other things, so... Now, I, in an ironic twist, you've sort of started shifting yourself to where you now are focusing on music and and other cultural things. Uh, what What is this about? How did you go from burritos to, like, being a record label? What's going on there? Like, how did you decide to do that? Well, I think it's sort of been coming for a long time. Um, you know, huge music fan, started the business at 23. A lot of my friends, a lot of people in the business, in the industry, or just friends of ours are huge music fans. So, And in fact, now that you're talking about uh, the Fox and the Hill, I tried to open a venue in the old Tulagi in 2004. And I know uh, we're going to be talking yeah. about Boulder later on. So that brought up a lot of memories that I'd sort of shoved aside with the blinky stuff. But, uh, <laughs> but like, but we tried to open a Cuban restaurant in Tulagi's called Atrevito yeah. Daredevil. And it was going to be sweet. It was like a supper club, right. Cuban food in the front and, uh, you know, continuing Tulagi in the back, you know, which had such a rich history. Mm. Um, the Eagles, 
you know, played there. Jimi Hendrix is rumored to have played there. I never got the full documents on that, but you know, that kind of got squashed, um, during some political stuff up there. But so I'd been interested in the music thing for quite a while and thought there was maybe some sort of tie in, but really it came about most recently and, and really quickly we set up our restaurants and such that we have like a right, a raised platform that sort of separates the elevations in our restaurants, but also provides for a stage area. So there was mm-hmm. always kind of the thought that we'd have entertainment and that's kind of how we have the full bar and we're able to kind of do be something that our main competition cannot be. And so that's a, kind of an extension of that. So the music thing again has always kind of been there, but we've really sort of gone for it the last couple of years and, and working with Virgil Dickerson and mm-hmm. Andy Thomas, um, with Suburban Home, or Virgil with Suburban Home, and Andy Thomas, local musician. We started two years ago working with them to do the Starving Artist Program, which was a way to, um, we, we feed, basically, and it's still going, and it's a great program. We fed over, I don't know, 300 bands or something. But basically, touring national and international bands get in touch with us, and we give them a voucher for free food. In exchange, all we ask, you know, these guys are, you know, on the road, and you know, miss home and whatnot. So we hopefully give them home and hospitality. All we ask is that they talk to their fans, right? Sure. Social media. Easy. And, and music fans, I think, as we all know, are some of the most passionate people in the world. So we thought it'd be a nice, kind of easy and a fun way for us to sort of tap into that. And, you know, there's some costs involved, but it's reasonably cheap, and we get to meet cool bands. And so that, that's been a great success. And then that sort of led it to what we call eat and greets. Some of these musicians would do acoustic shows like mid-afternoon shows like ben from lucero has done a couple that have been phenomenal before their shows at the bluebird or wherever they'll come uh-huh. down um play i don't know five to ten songs and meet with their fans so that was a really neat thing and then so that, so we're kind of like so last summer uh july of 2011 we virgil and i were talking like you know okay what's next you know um what other opportunities what is there that we could do maybe for some of the local bands. Right. And uh, that's kind of where the greater thing, greater than thing came from is like, and you know, we had an opportunity with snake rattle snake. They approached us with a full and they approached Virgil really because he's been doing suburban home for 17 years. And you know, they had the album completely done, mastered uh, artwork and everything. They did everything and phenomenal record. Right. So they right. Said, hey, it's can you help us put it out? Yeah. I mean, it's so good. And that's such a good band. They're such cool people. But uh, so that was kind of like we were thinking about it, and that sort of rushed us into it. And uh, and that's again, it's been about a year, I think, thirteen months. Well, basically one year. Actually, I'll just say it. Today's the one year anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, it's been awesome. It is and now. <laughs> it is now. You heard it here market, first. Market, <laughs> market. But uh, it's been awesome, you know, and it's been a great learning experience. And we've recently been adding certain people to the team. Uh, Aaron Thompson, uh, yes. Donnie Brook Writing uh, Society, but for uh, press and PR. But so we're just building a team, and, and we've got a few things that I'd like to talk about with that a little bit later. But we're, we're getting back to the music and the arts, and you know, working with the different, you know, Magic Cyclops or Yellow Design, and some of the stunt teams. We yeah, did. I mean, you've you've gone. Yeah, you started out with music; that was your thing. But then you've you've definitely and comedy. Ex- yeah, and expanded into now you're doing comedy. You got a BMX team. You got a parkour team. You got you're taking care of a lot of folks that are sort of arts and culture in town. We'll get to another small little 
uh, arts and culture group that you're taking care of later. Well, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But uh, <laughs> well, here's so here's what I'd like to say about that. So yeah. So basically, you know, I said that we. It's been 17 years, and you've been there for 16 of them. Thank you. <laughs> and you're looking Aww. great. <laughs> but I. But, but I'm getting no, all teary. No, no, no. So. <laughs> so and then we went through these times like okay, and I've. I'd worked in restaurants, but man, I was 23 when I, when I started this. So it's, again, I've been learning, you know, and a lot of these, you know, we've got five restaurants. I'm really proud of what we do, but I've made some serious mistakes. And now I'm kind of like, okay, we've done to, you know, we've gotten to a point of success and I've, you, you know, we've got sort of marketing budget or money. How do I want to spend my money? Like, I don't, I want to spend it. I've realized now, and part of our mission is to have as much fun as we can. Cause I think that if you engage everybody, all the associated parties, all the stakeholders into that mission, having fun, like then, you know, you run a smart business, but you know, I think your business will thrive. You know, people are excited and motivated, but what's important to me and us, I think we're, we're a youthful company and, and sort of the music arts, Denver really is important to me, man. I was born and raised. I'm really proud of this um, town. I'm proud of Colorado. I mean, it's obviously just a great place and we, we get a lot of attention for that, but right. So if I can spend my money, in other ways and sort of get the benefit that may come along with that, then I'd, I'd much rather do that. And I think that's the basis for it really is, is I'd rather put money that we have, you know, I guess we probably don't need to spend it, I guess, but you know, sort of dollars that we have set aside to things that I enjoy, that we enjoy. And I think that our customers enjoy and our kind of core customer, the passionate customer. Again, you know, I spoke to, I spoke about, music fans being highly passionate and right. we, we talk about our, our sort of main demographic although we have a very wide widely varied demographic and i'm really happy for that because we want to be incredibly inclusive in who we are that's who we strive to be but the 18 to 35 you know well connected passionate music lover arts you know just really stoked about independence and you know cool things going on in their town you know very you know fiercely local and so I think it's the right thing to do. I think it's a smart thing to do, and it's been really fun. So it's it's kind of a gut thing because you don't get a huge amount of feedback on what's working, what's not, other than, you know, our business has been great the last two years, and I'm having an awesome time. That's good. That's so, good to hear. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's take a little break, uh, and uh, we'll just go ahead and say it. This week's episode is brought to you by Illegal Pete's. <laughs> <laughs> Whammy. Whammy, there it is. Hey, uh, uh, we would have had you on the show even if you had said no to that whole situation. But uh, we're going we're gonna to take a little break. We're going to play we some... We would have asked harder questions, though. <laughs> yeah, thank you. If that was the case. That's right. Why aren't you... <laughs> yeah. I don't even know... Why not more cheeseburgers, buddy? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why are you using that kind of cheese yeah. instead of the kind of cheese I like? Yeah. I don't understand. Let's get in. No, okay. Um, we're going to take a little break. We're going to play a little music uh, off of a musician that's uh, on the Greater Than Collective label. Uh, Esme Patterson, right? Has not been announced yet. Oh! I was given the green light to announce, however, today. Yeah. We're breaking news, Woo! people! Yeah. Let's do this. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So, yeah, Esme Patterson, Paper Bird, she is releasing her first solo record, and she's going to be releasing it through the Greater Than Collective, nice. which is awesome. Yeah, she... I've just recently met her, and she is super cool. I don't know if you know her. Funny and smart and obviously incredibly talented. And she, we were putting out a record uh, November 20th. It's called All Prince's Eye, and it's phenomenal. 
Okay. All right. Well, uh, here's Esme Patterson. Uh, we'll be right back. to the Denver Diatribe. That, again, that was the song Jessica by Esme Patterson off of her not-yet-released album on the Greater Than Collective uh, label. P- Pete, tell me again, what was the name of the album? All Prince's Eye. All Prince's Eye, and, it's not, and it won't be available until November. November 20th. Actually, so that's a national release date. She, um, it, it'll be available in Denver, I believe, before that. Of course it will. But again, I we're still, you know, this is sort of informal announcement. I sort of had to do it just because I had the opportunity here. But there will be more de- details to come probably by the weekend. Okay. All right. Perfect. Uh, and uh, for you podcast listeners out there, uh, be sure to visit IllegalPeats.com if you want to check out any of the other bands uh, that the Greater Than Collective supports. And you can also check out GreaterThanCollective.com, right? Yes. So that – is you know we're we're going to be announcing that in the next couple of days. What we had announced in the last uh, two months is uh, working with putting out the the Epilogues first full length album, and that and so we're really really excited about that as well. Another great local band that had trouble. Uh, they had a, a phenomenal deal signed with a major label, a subsidiary of Sony. They went out of business. Story of the record industry right now and. It's a pretty neat story because, you know, they, they, again, came to us with a phenomenal album that we helped actually kind of finish and, and master, but we'll be releasing that November 6th as well. So that's another thing, uh, another uh, artist that we're working with that we're very, very excited about. Awesome. Okay. So wanted to mention that. Thank you. All right. Uh, next topic. According to city officials, Seth Brigham is one of Boulder's most obnoxious residents. After... His countless nagging emails to city council uh, members and uh, actually dropping his trousers in a city council meeting, uh, the city of Boulder uh, tried to uh, get a permanent restraining order for him and ban him for life from council meetings. But uh, just on Tuesday, Boulder County Judge uh, David Archuleta rejected the request on Tuesday, uh, saying that he's not a threat and the restraint would be a violation of his First Amendment rights. So, uh, Vanessa, as our Boulder correspondent, can you tell us what the heck is up with this guy? Um, I wish I could tell you a lot more than I can. I don't pay attention to Boulder City Council meetings, unfortunately. Yeah, good um, for you. Why not? Uh, I, you know, I, I did so much of that in Fort Collins. I just I feel like I, I, I get a pass for the rest of my life. <laughs> so, but I, well, part of that was was de- is dealing with people like Seth. Brigham, like there in, in Fort Collins, God, there were like, I feel like there were a dozen. I mean, there, this is part of your job. You have to, and Boulder to too. Boulder's always had cranky cranks. Well, everybody does. 
You know, I mean, it's part of it. You need rabble rousers. You don't need it. But I I think it's the way you handle them. Mm. And that's the disappointing part of what's happening with the council right now is that do you really I mean, they're going after a restraining order. They haven't even called. uh, They haven't they haven't called the cops, according to the stories that I've been reading. Like you need to go through the 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 normal channels. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not just go after them and get a restraining order. So and not only that, but you ran for office. I'm sorry. That's your job. One thing that, that I found kind of interesting in the one story I read about this was they had uh, – council had uh, John Nicoletti uh, testify. John, John Nicoletti is an expert in workplace violence. Um, yes. He's based here in Colorado. This guy is a big deal. This guy worked 9-11, all sorts of um, – Columbine. Columbine. Um, uh, so the question yeah. is how much did it cost Boulder taxpayers for the council to bring in John Nicoletti – to talk about this random dude who dropped trow, and so then they could therefore go get a training corner, since they've already, I think, lost at least one ten thousand dollar lawsuit against this dude. Yeah, they have. Right. And David Lane, who has oh. uh, agreed to represent him, who you know loves Boulder, oh. talking about crazies. <laughs> uh, he is promising now to sue uh, the city for some kind of civil rights damages or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it feels to me like they're actually working towards making ensuring that this gentleman will make a lifetime career out of doing this and right. filing lawsuits and winning them and making money this way. I mean, they're I've like seen... children. They're just reacting to this. You know, <laughs> it's like roll your eyes and let him talk yep. and ignore him. Yeah. If you would like, I tell my to. daughters, just ignore her. Go to your room, <laughs> do something else. Turn around and walk yeah. away. It's okay. Don't. If they wanted to get rid of him, what they should do is create the Seth Brigham like 15 minutes of fun every week. Exactly. Say, Seth, you can say whatever you want. We're here to listen to you. That will last about three weeks and it'll be gone forever. Excellent right? idea, Joel. That's all you Excellent have to do. Idea. And it'll be done. Give me yeah. a stage. Elect me, oh. elect me king of Boulder right now. Yeah. I really wanted – I didn't – I. I wanted to talk about it a little bit because I think it's pretty interesting the way Boulder uh, is handling the whole situation. But also, mostly I just wanted to use this as an excuse to talk about, Boulder, you've changed, man. What happened to you? I, for those of you, I mean, Pete, you lived in Boulder. You, you moved away to Denver. I lived in Boulder and moved away. You, Joel lived in Boulder and, and moved away. Uh, Jared. Jared. Josh. Lived, Jared was, lived in Boulder. Boulder was the first place. We, that- okay. All of us <laughs> in this room... Uh, and including our co-host that isn't here, Josh Johnson, all have lived in Boulder and left except for Vanessa. Who uh, just moved to Boulder. Who just moved to Boulder. She's oh, you'll be gone hurt. soon. Oh, yeah. She's I'm getting, already planning. She's March. getting her test. She's already digging the tunnel Why? from Boulder to Denver right now. I was able to last there for nine years, and it, and it was fine, and it got old, and I was ready to go. But it feels like... Uh, what is hap- what's up with that town right now? I mean, I, I'm just very curious about our, our kooky neighbor to the north. Uh, do you feel, you know, you're getting the experience because you've still got a restaurant there. Sure, do, too. Do you feel like D- Boulder does feel different than it used to? Yeah, I would say so for me. I mean, Boulder's been great f- to do business in. I mean, I love Boulder for that. I mean, I love the people I work with. I love my customers. Um, I've had... So, you know, my, my views on Boulder have certainly changed a little bit and even trying to do business in Boulder, you know, I I touched on the Tulagi thing and, and that was a little, I mean, that was a case of people getting overly, I guess, agitated about, um, kind of, that was right around the time when, uh, Gordy Bailey, uh, had drank himself to death in a frat house. Right, right, right. Like hazing accident. Right. And so they took it all out on the bars and there's another, that's in the news right now, uh, another, uh, 
attempt to sort of restrict liquor licenses, and it mostly deals with the Hill. And so I personally have frustration that that Boulder is really, really, it favors Pearl Street, and the Hill has become totally lacking in diversity, and it's such such a drag. And and I would say that that translates to the city as a whole. So the reason why I appreciate Denver probably more than Boulder, although Boulder is incredibly beautiful, it's obviously – top of the list on all these you know best places to live do small business create you know best food town but i think by gourmet magazine uh most creative city they say yep, you know yep. so obviously there's a great brain trust tons of money it's a beautiful place to live you know people want to be there but there are there is a, a in my mind an incredible lack of diversity there Absolutely. so that's why i like denver you know because there's so much other stuff going on you know there is yeah but there, boulder's beautiful and it's awesome and, and again i won't i love it for and it's been great for business and we love you know i went to see you big fan of the university we're actually we just signed a deal with the university we're, you know, cu athletics we're kind of the main uh, sort of we're one of their sponsors we're going to be in Folsom field we're actually going to be vending at the games you're going to be cool. selling burritos at the games yeah, oh that is, is cool trouble. yeah which is cool so so you know i love cu and again, I, I think the whole difference. I think there's a problem between Boulder government and the university as well. They've always kind of been at odds, yeah, which right. is strange to me. But yeah, right. anyway, so yeah, it is very interesting. A very good point that you've made about uh, it does feel like the hill of the there. You know, there's 29th Street, there's Pearl Street, there's there's North Boulder, and and then there's there's the hill of those four sort of uh, retail areas. It feels like the hills just become the bastard child that nobody wants to deal with. Yeah, for the last uh, twenty years, fifteen years, it's been that way for a long time. There was a. It felt like for a little while they were trying. There was there was at least an effort. Being so made. what could be I, done? So what do you think could be done to actually kind of be a little create more, new vitality on the hill? Be more pro business and and more independent business. I mean, they've they've set up zoning as such on the hill that you need to like apply, and I, that may be changing. But anything over fifteen hundred square feet, you have to go through this arduous zoning uh, rights process that you you've got no guarantees absolutely no guarantees so who would want to sign you a lease basically the six-month process and you know what landlord wants to give you six months and say hey if they don't agree to it you're off the lease nobody i mean so is it because of the neighborhood the, the word the yeah it was that sort of the neighborhood group up there i think drives most of it you know which again i understand their concerns you know mostly about liquor but i think really it has to do about something else you know they talk about binge drinking and liquor and, and they basically tie it i think with pretty thin evidence to to licensed establishments but you know really where you hear about kids drinking themselves to death and whatnot is in house parties man so when you close these things down you're sending people to pearl street so they're driving or walking and and probably along the way trashing other people's yards and whatnot which i guess you did get that on the hill but again i think i, I think the motivation is I mean, it's maybe noble in a certain way, but I think they're totally off base. And so they've set these rules in place that don't apply to Pearl Street, you know? And, and so all. it's totally – now it's burrito shops, which, hey, I love burritos. <laughs> like, san, you know, sandwich shops. I mean, it's so lacking in diversity right now. It's ridiculous. And I love the Hill. Again, I think any university town – and Boulder is like one of the premier university towns in the, in the country. People yeah. like Boulder. I love Boulder. See you, Boulder should have a vibrant University Hill or University yeah. area. I mean, it just needs it. Like, I think we're doing – Boulder's doing itself a serious disservice by not having something that people, you know, we're in the Pac-12 now. Let's We're going to get all your students up here visiting from wherever, man. Let's wow them with a really unique 
you know, university environment, which you just don't have up there. I know Denver yeah. wishes it had it with the Aurora campus. And, and it's starting, tr- yeah. And they're trying to build here. Like, again, and how many millions and millions of dollars are they yeah. spending to, to try to, like, build one yeah. here when they've already had one organically up in Boulder. And but they're trying to shut it down. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I mean, but again, I... I, I understand why, because and Pearl Street's really nice, but I just think it's a it's a shame. I, if I was a student, like there's just nothing intriguing. There's nothing to keep me up there unless I want a sandwich, a burrito, a sandwich, t-shirt, which is fine. You need all that. Yeah, that's about it. You'd be naked. So and instead, hungry, you're but. just gonna go to you're gonna you're gonna go to Liquor Mart and get a keg and go drink totally. at your house anyway. Yeah. So. I think I, I think there's also a problem. I, I see like the, you see the new businesses building up like around 28th Street, and it's like there's a lot of corporate there like more than what you know when I first started going to Boulder when you know way back in high school just you know and it was like that wasn't that's what you loved about Mm -hmm. Boulder is that you felt it was very indie and very you know it had its own um kind of identity that way and it feels like they're just uh, that a lot of that is going away it feels very corporate the whole like keep Boulder weird it's just yeah. as far away from weird. weird right now. I mean, there are weird people walking around the street. That, oh, absolutely. You know, the guy that knows every zip code in the world, that's awesome. Or the guy that fit in a box or a yeah. tube, that's incredible. Soon but enough, they're all going to have restraining orders against them, though. Exactly. Soon, so. Yeah, we'll get them out of town. <laughs> They'll just make them wear. We'll get them out of town. Yeah. But, you know, like, yeah, you're right. So it's just not – I think it's lost that, which is – but, again, I, I think it's gained – obviously it's gained because it's topping all of these lists. There's tons of businesses moving there. Sure. Um, you know, it's – there's tons of money there, so they've done something. Maybe maybe right? it's just the Boulders getting older right now. I mean, maybe uh, maybe that's the situation. The Boulders Boulders finally after after what like 50 years of being perpetually 20 years old, Boulder is finally almost well, 30. Well, and- maybe it needs to have a midlife crisis and get a convertible and, All right. and let let its hair down on the hill, speaking, man. Speaking of <laughs> speaking of midlife crises and uh, crazy ideas, I wanted to bring this back. It's been almost two years. Jared, Jared and Joel, you were there. Episode two of the Denver Diatribe was the last time we talked about this. I-70, ski season is coming. I know it's freaking hot outside, but it's, it's bound to happen. Uh, way back in September, September 2010, we talked about the crazy I-70 zipper lane to fix the traffic problem uh, going into the mountains. And uh, this June, uh, CDOT started uh, formally asking transportation mucky mucks for I-70 ideas similar to the zipper lane. Uh, and they've already received over 150 proposals, including uh, this crazy flying tube train. Uh, we'll get a, Hold on, Joel. Joel, <laughs> just wait. <laughs> Okay. I love the tube train, and we'll talk about it in a minute. But they, they are finally, it sounds like they're putting out a formal request for proposal to all these different developers, and they're going to narrow down the list in October and then hold a special technology forum with mayors and officials along the I-70 corridor. It does feel like they're actually working towards not just talking about it but actually doing something. Is that correct, or is have we seen this before and this is just a repeat of their same sort of analysis paralysis nonsense? Joel? I mean, I think it might look like it's just one more stupid request for proposal and things happening, but I think most people don't realize that behind the scenes there has been some movement. A couple of years ago, the Rocky Mountain Rail Authority, which is this consortium of like 50-something cities and all, you know, basically a lot of the main communities that would, that would be affected by such a rail line uh, got together and had a study done to look at whether such a project would qualify for Federal Railroad Administration uh, funds. And I guess it's a really high bar 
to get these funds? Like, first of all, you have to prove that this thing uh, can operate without, you know, without any type of like federal like subsidies. That this thing will be able to pay for itself. And two, that actually uh, the cost-benefit ratio would suggest that you know, no matter how much this thing costs, in the long run, that it will end up making money. And yes. they found at the end of this thing that yes, that this thing would end up making money, even if it costs like twenty like billion dollars. Right, and right now the the, the estimates are about ten billion dollars to redo the corridor. Yeah. So, oh, I think it's twenty. I think it's twenty. 20. Well, no. Well, yeah. I don't. I, I think don't that know. includes I'm, I'm going, going north to south the, uh, as well. The Denver I think Post it article. The I twenty five corridor as well. I think looking at both. Oh, they want to do both. Yeah. Wow. Maybe oh. one might tube well do train both, on I twenty five. What is the tube train, please? Can we? Can I don't know. Explain? It just has this ridiculous. He just likes looking... this funny name called tube train. Okay? It's one <laughs> of 150 proposals. I could right, put one pub... in today, saying I'm going to build it out of like pipe cleaners and straws, and want to be like, listen, this crazy idea about silly train. But you know, it's just, it's, let's put one in for an Alpine slide. Serious, Ron. This Alpine is a news slide. Yes, that would Vanessa, be my. All right, scary. Vanessa and I are putting together our proposal for an Alpine slide all the way. <laughs> From <laughs> it's going to go from Georgetown to Idaho Springs. You get on it. You get on a luge, like a luge sled, and you, or a bobsled, and you just go. Now all you know what they're thinking of. Seriously though, like the high speed like, trains. Well, yeah. I mean, I, as best like as I can high, tell, like the, the tube the tube train is like one of the uh, the maglev trains, the ones that don't Ooh. actually touch the ground. They're they're elevated I by think most, magnets. I think most of the high-speed trains are yes, magnets. Yes, correct. That's correct. Have you guys uh, been on the high-speed trains, by the way? No. I went on one in Japan. It's Japan. the best. The sh- what's it called? The Shinkansen? Yeah, like the Shajukujin train. Yes, that is the correct pronunciation. Not only is it crazy fast and crazy silent, but the best part, and they sure as hell better better bring this part to the Rocky Mountain Shajukujin train, is... This woman will come by every five minutes with this cart with the greatest selection of train snacks you will ever see. <laughs> There's like little packets that you open up, and then inside are smaller packets. And in each of those oh, packets yeah, is a different piece of salami. You open a different <laughs> packet, is a little piece of cheese. <laughs> wow. And this is what they need. If they're going to do this, part of the $20 billion means they have to fly the snack ladies from Japan. Japanese salami. The shukatukachakutre. <laughs> yes, yes. So that's that's what I'm saying right now. No, as best as I can tell, the, the, the tube train is where they had – it looked like these weird rings that would be elevated up above the, the road, the interstate itself, and then a train would shoot through these rings where cool. for portions of it – uh, the train wouldn't actually be touching anything. Wait, you'll just be flying through the air. <laughs> just shooting through these tubes. Go to DenverPost.com, look up, look up I-70 tube train, and I'm telling you, it's the craziest looking idea. picture. I have How do we get sick. a giant cannon and stuff people to get it and just aim it towards Vail? Shoot people out of the cannon towards Vail. And if you land so on Keystone, that's yeah, where you ski for yeah, the day. close enough. See, this is, see these ideas are And I then like you can Alpine better. slide back. Yes. Do we still get yeah. the Shijukin uh, <laughs> snack lady with that, with that, with that proposal? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, you got to wonder. Like, really, it's very interesting to see. The, the goal they're saying is that they want to have a solution in place and active by 2025, and that sounds very ambitious to me. Uh, I think it's... I think yeah. one thing is if, you know, if they really if they, if they push forward with the whole plan about getting the Winter Olympics here. 
Yes, Winter Olympics would definitely make it. I think they would need it because I think, I mean, you look at what happened with Whistler where they literally shut down the main road so they they could just have the buses. They can't do that with I-70 because I-70 is like the main, like, you know, transnational corridor. So they couldn't do that. No, and and Vancouver and Whistler Blackcomb do have a very similar layout. It's, It's like an hour drive up into the mountains to get to the ski resort. So absolutely, it would be a huge nightmare. But Salt Lake City had the Olympics, and they don't have anything like that. Uh, Did they need it? I don't know. I mean, did anybody go to that Winter Olympics? (laughs) (laughs) Take that, Salt Lake. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's we we need to have a show on the Olympics again. I mean, just now that we've had I just want us to get offered so we can reject them again. Yeah. Yeah. That's really all I want. Um, you know, one, uh, can we go? Okay. All right. Fine. Any, any other comments about the two train or, or other it's I-70 not ideas? just a two train. <laughs> do you have any other great no, ideas? I just, want, I just want to encourage people to do their own research, <laughs> okay. not listen to, to a few crazy sound bites from certain <laughs> media professionals <laughs> and learn the truth about professional two transportation trains. What, well, what other what other ideas do you think are out there that are actually viable? I mean, I didn't when when you guys this was long before I was on the podcast when you guys talked about the zipper lane, which was so Pete. I don't know if you heard this, but zipper lane was the idea of you got four lanes of interstate interstate traffic, and the middle median would move. Uh, depending, depending on the time, time of the day, yeah. it would be three lanes going west in the morning and three lanes going east. Uh, it just sounded ridiculous and not feasible to me. I think it's pretty common in, in several um, big highways. It just doesn't seem very realistic now, for a road where it's constantly covered in snow and ice. And people, you know, it's still a major thoroughfare through the country. So you can't turn the interstate into one lane for part of the day just because uh, of skiers. Now, you know what I mean? I We've got other things that are going on. With the pace cars. Did you, did you guys hear about the pace cars? Mm-mm. No, are these the pace cars that they use to determine the? You know, when they put up on the sign, they say it's forty-five no, minutes to no, cover. This, or whatever? No, no, it's actually really fascinating. They've actually uh, CDOT actually had at least last winter had certain pace cars that would actually slow traffic down at certain points on I seventy. Uh, the concept being, if you think about like a water faucet, where if you try to get like too much water, like going through the faucet yeah. all at once, like too quickly, it actually goes slower than if you get the right. Cool. Speed, so they're actually slowing down traffic like forty-five, and people were getting really fired up because they see all this like wide open space in front of the pace car. But actually, I think it did help at certain points. Interesting. Uh, interesting. Well, that's a that's a cheap solution. So I yeah. like eight, it's eight-year-olds on the road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, grandma, hey, yeah. hey Uncle, Uncle Louie, go up to Vail for me, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. You know, yeah, you give you give us some senior citizens a. <laughs> free ski pass and you just tell them they have to leave by 2 30 p.m and then by you know if they leave at 2 30 then everybody that's leaving at four will jam into them right? grandpa get off the road get off the road and you you know to make it really Swerving effective back and forth so no one can get by grandpa grandpa's like i'm going over to the right no i'm going back to the left now to make it really really great you would have to make sure that the whatever car they were driving had a texas license plate oh, that would yeah. be sort of the rule yeah. it would be required i see lots of road raging guns involved. Uh, okay all right well this this conversation will be going on between us until at least 2025 so we're going to move on from this pete i want to go back really quick because i forgot something i want to talk to you about before we end the show before we get on to love and hate you're in russia oh yeah 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 (laughs) illegal pete's not a good name for a russian restaurant no no so they actually (laughs) it's called uh muchachos so uh we were contacted by a company 
in Moscow um, last late or last fall, I guess, and about licensing our recipes, uh, systems, et cetera. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I mean, <laughs> kind of laughed him off, like, really? Come on. And it actually happened. So we, we trained a team of Russians here in May, and then I, uh, myself and a coworker went out to Moscow uh, at the end of June and opened up the restaurant July 7th in Moscow, Russia, next to a McDonald's at a metro station. <laughs> And yeah. it's called Machachos, and it was awesome. I mean, it was a phenomenal experience and really cool. And it was an opportunity. Gor- gorgeous Russian women in little oh. tiny uh, sombreros. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy, crazy. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was a great opportunity to sort of, you know, we, we intend to grow, and uh, it was a good opportunity to, to sort of tighten up what we do. Is, so. is, uh, is the Russian-style burrito different than the uh, Well, the there is style no Russian-style burrito. I mean, so that's the thing is they don't it's, really it's they don't know. It's wrapped inside of a pierogi. Well, even like Mexican food, first of all. I mean, they know it and they really like it, but it's pretty rare. Yeah. And, and fast casual, the sort of concept that we've known for 15, 20 years, they just don't – it's new to them. So I, it's kind of a bit of a challenge, I think. They don't quite understand – you know the quality you know the quality and and it was interesting sourcing ingredients so that was the biggest challenge just going over there i mean and getting kind of thing you know getting the ingredients and preparing them you know to to my standard or our our standard so it was challenging there but you know i was really pleased with the end product but you know it's it's going to be a challenge it's got to be completely different well yeah i mean in mcdonald's they freak out over mcdonald's i mean it's true like they are zombies to mcdonald's and that's I'd say that the GM that I trained, Nadia, she's awesome, but she would always do the zombie arms when she was talking about McDonald's because people <laughs> freak out over McDonald's. So it was hard to, you know, and you can still get a Big Mac for the equivalent of three bucks over there, right? So they say, okay, a burrito for the equivalent of seven or eight bucks, why would I do that? Well, they don't really understand. So it's going to take a while to get that, you know. Anyway, so to answer your question, the burrito, the over there is the American burrito. It's our burrito, but do they know it? I'm not sure. Okay. Are there is there anything on the menu that is special for that location? Not yet, but they're going to be. And, and again, so this. But was the potato burrito ago. is at the top of yeah. the. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I think they're going to have to basically see and, and and tweak maybe a little bit. So we're we're still talking with them, but yeah, it was a great experience and it was awesome. Moscow was really interesting, and great. Okay. All right. Go well, USA. Cool. <laughs> Go America. <laughs> Infiltrate. All right. Let's move on to love and hate. Uh, Joel, what do you got for me? Um, I'm going to give some love this week. I, don't, I hopefully no one's loving this before. I've been out for a bit, but I'm going to love on Max Potter's profile of Governor Governor uh, John Hickenlooper. Have you guys talked about this? No, no we haven't. And it's um, great. I'm glad. Yeah, you it's about it. uh, basically uh, Max was embedded for the entire first year of Governor uh, Hickenlooper's administration, and then spent an additional time as well. And I know from what I've heard from him, it was just a pretty tough experience, like spending that much time at one place. Um, his story came out, I think, in last month, fifty-two eighty, um, and it's and it's fascinating. It's fascinating. I. Uh, I compare it uh, to uh, David Simon's uh, homicide life on the street because it's like literally it's such this just evocative behind the scenes mm-hmm. look at what goes on in the state capitol. I mean, he got access to some pretty tense one-on-one meetings with some pretty big uh, power players. And so I have to say uh, kudos to the, to the administration for letting reporters sit in on basically the entire thing. And, and good job on, uh, to Max for actually doing a really good job with it. 
Okay. Yeah, that's so awesome. It's actually it on newsstands right now. Well, if, depending on when this when we listen to this, it's August now. It's the August issue cover story. Yeah. Okay, Vanessa. Um, I'm going to give some love as well to something that is formerly local, still local. Book of Mormon was yes. fucking awesome. Yes. Um, I saw it on opening night, and it was... Rub it in, Vanessa. Just rub it in. Yeah, I fine. know, I know. Hey, I offered you tickets, too. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, I'm, it beyond my expectations, which I, I tried to keep them low. I always do, but it, I was crying almost the whole time. It was so good. It's coming back next, uh, next yep. fall. Yep. And so. uh, Performing Arts Center is already uh, sending sending emails about uh, preseason sales. So, sweet, get in on that. Pete, you got a love or hate for us? You know, I was going to mention Book of Mormon as well. So, I should probably oh. yeah, I should I should probably say something else. But I uh, yeah, Book of Mormon was incredible, and I went to see. Well, I went to junior high with Matt Stone, and then went to see you with him. And like, so Matt was working on I think South Park the. In 1995, that summer, we hung out in Boulder. And the first day one, you talk about people in sombreros, Matt and uh, uh, Stan Sawicki, which is another guy. But that whole crew came in day one to Legal Pete's. And, I, and so just to see those guys and the success they've gotten and, and to see Book of Mormon here was just phenomenal. And I was, again, so, so proud of Colorado, actually. You know, yeah. And the fact yeah. that, you know, they're bringing it here initially and then, what, Chicago and London. I mean, so that's pretty cool. So – that, um, and then what else? So I guess I kind of did what you did. <laughs> good. That's, that's all, it deserves it. It's all right. Piggy, piggyback. <laughs> it's it's worth it's worth a double love. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna complete the circle of love here. I'm gonna love circle of life. Akuna Matata. <laughs> I know. Akuna Matata. There it is. Uh, I'm I'm gonna love on Denver Public Schools for being back in session. It's so quiet at my house right now. And it's magical. And that's really, that's it. I, I'm just happy <laughs> schools. It, Enjoy that, again, DPS, because it kids. may never again Ron happen. hates kids. I love my children, and I love them more when I get a break. So, uh, all right. Well, anyway, that's about all the love and hate we have for this week. If you'd like to share a little of your own love and hate, please leave a brief message at 720-282-YELL. That's 720-282-9355. Our web hosting is provided by BlueChannel.com, and you can always listen to episodes on demand by subscribing to our podcast. For more information, check out our website, DenverDiatribe.com, or search for Denver Diatribe on Twitter or Facebook. For my, on behalf of my co-hosts, uh, Joel, Vanessa, and uh, Pete Turner, thanks for listening. Have you heard the birds at the words Denver? High average income, roll like big spenders. Affordable housing, good money lenders. Low obesity, no need for suspenders. Check your calendar. Denver, Denver.